I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I will live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless, and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I said, I'm severely afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of Yahweh. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will, cover you as, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of Yahweh. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house within you, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Uh, the second reading is uh, from 1 John, starting at chapter 1, verse 1, and you can find it on page 1119. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. John and Emma, my name's Dan. Um, it's great to be with you this evening. I'm really excited to be starting this uh, new series in 1 John. Uh, eight weeks, 
um, you know, Paul's away on long service leave, which is um, it's good for him. He doesn't, doesn't really like 1 John. It's part of the reason. He thought he'd fly to England to get away from it. Um, and we're left with it. No, it's great to be in 1 John. Paul doesn't really love it because he's a mathematician, as you might know. And um, Paul kind of likes the, um, you know, the Apostle Paul's logical straight line arguments. Uh, whereas if you've read 1 John, you know he's nothing like that. He's more of, you know, an artiste. And he kind of like writes in spirals. Um, I like to think of John as kind of like a, uh, a painter who's got his little paint palette. And on his palette is, is four themes, just four. But he combines these themes in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of combinations to paint this quite amazing picture for us in this letter. When you see uh, this pa- picture he paints on the gallery wall, it can be a little bit confusing with all the repetition and swirling around. Uh, but as you look closely at the plaque underneath the painting, you see the name of the artwork, which is Fellowship with God. That's what 1 John is really all about. It's about fellowship with God. And it's not just what 1 John is about either. Have a read of this quote. This is from Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great old preacher. He says, Fellowship with God is the whole object, the ultimate the goal of all Christian experience and all Christian endeavor. This, beyond any question, is the central message of the Christian gospel and of the Christian faith. 1 John's a pretty good letter to be looking at, right? We're going to be digging right into the kind of core things of Christianity. If you're here and you're not a Christian, it's a great time to be here. Why? I reckon you should commit to the whole eight weeks. Or if you know non-Christian people, why not invite them along? But before we get too much further into this letter, we need to stop and ask, what is fellowship with God, if that's what the letter's all about? And John, being the artist that he is, talks about um, fellowship with God in all sorts of different ways, all sorts of different shades. He uses phrases like knowing God, uh, eternal life, life remaining in God, being born of God, all sorts of different things. What he's talking about is sharing life with God, sharing in his life. He's talking about knowing God. And not knowing God as some kind of distant power off in the sky, but knowing him as personal, as a God who sees right through you, knows everything about you, and loves you, but doesn't want to leave you as you are. It's a knowledge of God that transforms you as you kind of take upon yourself his rule, his instruction, his truth, his peace, his purposes, his future, his hope. And you walk through life in fellowship with him. Now, our hope, my prayer for this series in 1 John is that each of us and together would flourish in our fellowship with God. That's our little tagline, fellowship and, and what we've put underneath that is that we might be rooted in truth to grow in love. That, that's the picture of a flourishing fellowship with God. It's rooted in truth and it's growing in love. That's my hope for us. I'm going to pray for that right now and for tonight. Would you join me in prayer? God, we do want to thank you so much that you're not a God who stayed off at a distance, but you really do want to have fellowship with us. We just thank you for that miracle. God, we just ask that over the next eight weeks, you would make us more and more of people who are rooted in the truth about Jesus, 
may it affect us in, in every corner, every facet of our lives. And Father, we do pray that you'd make us a people that overflow in love as well. And make us grow in love for your glory's sake. And God, we do ask that tonight you just help us to uh, be in your word, uh, to hear your word, and to hear you uh, in reality. Amen. Um, Tonight, I do just kind of want to just say more or less one thing, and that is your fellowship with God will flourish in reality, if it's rooted in reality. Two things, flourishing fellowship through the real Jesus, and secondly, flourishing fellowship is real about sin. Our fellowship with God flourishes as it's rooted in reality, just like a tree flourishes when it's rooted in soil. However, did you know that there's orchids that have roots in thin air? Bizarre. My concern is we're a bit like that. As Christians, we can kind of put our roots down into ideas instead of reality. So we think that our Christian faith is all about the ideas like God exists and that he loves me and the idea of justification by faith. You know, I believe in those things, but they are ideas. So we put our roots down into thin air. And I think for some of us, that's a response to, you know, we've, we've, we've let the dodgy scientists get to us. You know, the scientists that say, you can't believe in God. And then we get that, let that get to us, and so we kind of we cling on to the ideas of Christianity, that God is love and we should love each other and all those things. They're good, and yet the reality that lies behind them, the reality of God, we've got nagging doubts about that. You know, we, we hope no one will really ask us about that. But look how John starts his letter. Look with me at verse 1. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we've observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You know, no hello. No how are you doing, how's your family. Straight to the guts. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. That life was revealed and we've seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What's he getting at? He's getting at the fact that our fellowship with God is rooted in the man Jesus. And this guy, Jesus, is real. We saw him. Us apostles, we actually observed him. These hands touched him. You know, he was real. We knew the smell of his B.O. and a whole lot. And now we're declaring him to you. John's writing this letter, um, not just because fellowship with God's a great thing, but also because there were some false teachers around. And these false teachers, they're in Ephesus, just like in 1 Timothy. They were probably saying stuff like, oh, the Christ was like a spirit man. John says, no, we touched eternal life with our hands. You know, we've got the dodgy scientists around today that say, you can't believe in a God you can't measure. Well, John says, I'm sorry I didn't measure the one who was from the beginning. I was too busy having lunch with him. You know, he was, he's real. Perhaps I should have said right at the beginning that the whole point of John writing is that he wants people to be certain 
confident about their fellowship with God. And so right from the beginning, without even saying hello, he gets to the crux of the issue, the issue of certainty about fellowship with God. What is it? It's this. Our fellowship with God is based on the real man, Jesus. Not on ideas about Jesus. It's based on history, not philosophy. Friends, we have soil that we can dig our roots into, not just thin air. This has like heaps of implications, guys. <laughs> like, for example, when you're talking to someone about knowing God, you've got to be talking about Jesus. We can't just talk about the ideas. I uh, sometimes hear around the place these strange ideas about fellowship with God. Uh, people saying things like, if I just sit by myself in the quiet and I reflect on what is, that's how I kind of connect with God. Or if the music's just right, then maybe the lights are dimmed a little bit, um, that's how I really engage with God. It's always measured on how we feel. Is that, is that what John says? Not at all. He says that our fellowship with God is based squarely on, on the person of Jesus. We can never bypass him when it comes to knowing God, being in fellowship with him. So have a look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2, that life was revealed. We've seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Jesus enjoyed eternal life, fellowship with the Father. More than that, he was eternal life. So, so as the apostles, it is quite crazy to imagine, as the apostles got to know Jesus, they were getting to know God. As they had fellowship with Jesus walking down the road, around the dinner table, they were having fellowship with God. And verse 3, John's writing so that we could have fellowship with God, just like he does, along with him through the Spirit of Jesus. So our fellowship with God is always about Jesus, and it comes through the witness of the apostles, written down in the Bible. Sure, feelings will follow, but it always must start with God's revelation of himself in Jesus, written down in the Scriptures. You see, that's soil, friends, we can actually put our roots down into. Reality. That's the first thing uh, that John wants to say to us uh, this evening. The second thing is about, um, about us being real. You see, our fellowship with God isn't just based in some objective reality, Jesus. We're also called to be real about our fellowship with God. Because the second thing, flourishing fellowship is real about sin. Have you ever uh, met someone, um, perhaps in your workplace, who uh, doesn't really get their, their place in the pecking order? You know, like the new grad kind of person who comes in and thinks that they're totally essential to the working of the company. You know, this kind of person. People are singering because they do. They're imagining that person. And they kind of, they kind of come in and go, oh, they, they think that their skills are completely irreplaceable and their youthful vitality is what really the company needs. And they think they're tight with the CEO because they were included in a group email. We know the person, right. Uh, they've got no grasp on reality. Well, friends, we need to be 
real about our place in the fellowship with God. When it comes to, when it comes to fellowship with God, we've got to be real about our place in that. And John says that our place is called this, sinner. If we want to have fellowship, flourishing fellowship with God, we need to be real about our sin. So look with me at verse 5. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Light tells the truth, doesn't it? Sometimes that's a bit unfortunate. You leave the lights off, the house looks pretty clean. You turn the lights on and you've got some work to do. God is light. God tells the truth. God is the truth. If you're going to have fellowship with him, it's got to be true. It's got to be real fellowship. Let me put it another way. Darkness. How much does darkness weigh? If you were to put it in the scales. What is Darkness. It's nothing, is it? Darkness has no substance. It's not a thing. It's a lack of something. Light, light is reality. Light is substantial. God is light. He doesn't deal in sort of unreality and lies. He's in truth. If you're going to be in fellowship with this guy, with light, it's got to be real. No mucking around, no pretending. So see verse 6 with me. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying. We're not practicing the truth. Let me show you two examples of what walking in darkness looks like. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth's not in us. Verse 10. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. And then the flip side of walking in darkness, obviously walking in light, what does that look like? Verse 9, if we confess our sin. How do you feel about confessing your sin? Pretty often we, we say kind of confessions up on the screen, we'll say that together, we're going to do it later tonight. How, how do you feel about that? Or are you in them, like in your prayer life, are you in the habit of, my personal confession? I'm not really. I don't know about you. I'm not really. I want to give you three reasons from this passage why we need to be real about sin and actually do this confession thing. The first is this. Confess to have fellowship with the real God. If you don't confess your sin, you don't really know God as he is. But if you confess, then you begin to see God as he actually is. And your fellowship with him becomes a bit more real. So see verse 9 once again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, we discover in Jesus this God who is faithful and righteous and washes our sin away. You don't really discover that in, in, in your experience until you confess. Chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus is our propitiation, which we discover when we confess. He's the one who actually takes away our sin and takes away God's anger at our sin so that there's nothing left between us and God. We actually have open fellowship with him. No guilt, no sin. Through the blood of Jesus. So once again, our, relation, our fellowship with God is based squarely on Jesus. Uh, my wife, uh, Olivia, and I have um, a very dear Christian person who is close to us. don't want to point out too many details. Let's call her Mandy. Mandy doesn't like sin. She doesn't like talking about sin. So when my wife, Olivia, um, talks about sin and says, you know, that she's, you know, unhappy about this sin that she's committed, Mandy says, that's the devil talking. You're not a sinner. Where did she learn that? From her church? There's whole churches that think this kind of thing. And you know what the result is? They don't talk much about sin. They don't talk much about a savior. I would say they don't really know God as they should know him. Do you know the Himalaya? You know the Himalayan mountain ranges? Do you know them? Do you know what I mean? Like I've seen pictures of them. I'm sure some people have seen them from a distance. Maybe you've flown over them in a plane. But surely you don't really know the Himalaya, unless you go down, down into the valleys beneath them and then look up and see them as they really are. Friends, you will not, you will not see God as he really is unless you go down, down into sin, take the place of the sinner and see the shape, the real shape of your fellowship with God, just how wonderful he is as your saviour. If we do not confess, it's scary. Have a look at verse 8 with me. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That is scary for people like Mandy. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to be people who confess. I want to, our church should be people like that. Now, in, in your prayer life, to come before God and actually confess sin. And not just, yeah, God, I'm a sinner, I know, blah, 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 carry on. Dig into it, get specific. And then don't make excuses and skim over it. Stop. Feel the weight. You might want to write it down. Not because we're morbid and we want to make ourselves sad and we hate ourselves. But because we're living in a light of reality. And this is the, re the real shape of our fellowship with God. This is the real shape. Us, sinners. Him, wonderful Savior, loves us so much, so wants us in fellowship with him that he would give his son to die, to bleed, to wash away our sin. But you won't see that if you don't go down. You won't experience that if you don't go down. Confession only drives us deeper into the love of God. Well, that's the first thing. Here's the next reason to confess, and that is that you will have real freedom. 
Uh, We just did the Gospel of John a couple of months back. Do you remember the verse that said, the truth will set you free? Do you remember that? The the truth will set you free. But look once again at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We're not in the truth, but it's the truth that sets us free. A lot of people these days think that sin is this kind of really draconian idea. You know, it kind of shackles and enslaves people. You know, kind of, yes, it's a Victorian era set of shackles. That's kind of what it is. You know, get rid of it. Live free, they say. But John says, actually, that's deceiving yourself. That's living a lie, the lie that you're okay with God without Jesus. Friends, don't we know that's a lie? Like, don't we know that there's something wrong with us? Do you know when, when you do something that you don't want to do, doesn't that show there's something wrong with you? When you hurt the people that you love most and love things that hurt you, and you can't stop it. Doesn't this show there's something wrong with us? And to live as if there's nothing wrong with us, well, that's living a lie. And friends, it's tiring living a lie. Um, I, I used to want to be a spy. Does anyone else want to be a spy? And then I started watching spy movies. And at first I thought, wow, that looks great. But now I'm getting a bit older. I think that looks tiring. Do you know? And, and not just all the action, all the manual labor. It's also just living a lie. Do you know, wouldn't that be tiring? Always taking on another identity. It's enslaving to live a lie. That's the shackles, actually. F- friends, are you, are you wearing the shackles? Are you living a lie before God, putting up this facade? No, I'm not a sinner. Everything's fine. John's got an invitation for you. It's the invitation to step out into the light of reality, to stop pretending. It's an invitation to confess your sin. That might sound kind of scary. That might sound kind of crazy. It might sound like jumping off a building. But... At the bottom of the building, there's this massive airbag of God's promises, of God's character. Verse 7. If we walk in the light, if you confess your sin, walk into the light of what's real. If you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Friends, step into the light. Come to know this God who catches you and cleanses you. Come to know Jesus, who's given his life for you and now stands as your advocate. Papa, my blood has paid for them. Can I personally say, it's liberating to confess. I don't know why I don't do it more often. It's liberating when you know the love of God. Well, that's the second thing. The last and shortest reason for us to confess is that it brings real fellowship with each other. Just quickly, verse 7, once again. 
But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with God. Oh, no, that doesn't say that. We have fellowship with one another. You've probably experienced this, right? You know when you go to one of those classy functions and everyone tries to impress each other? Like everyone's trying to outdress each other and they tell a better story than the person before them. Oh, well, I know a guy who did this. Do you know that kind of thing? Or that show that they're more successful than the person next to them. And it's all competitive. And it really draws everyone together in harmony. No. Not at all. But, but on the flip side, when we confess that, you know, I've got no tickets on myself. I'm, you know, I can't, I'm not, we're not trying to impress anyone. We confess that we're sinners. It actually makes us more accessible. It actually draws us together. It enriches our fellowship. And shouldn't that be what we're like as a church? A company of sinners? It's not necessarily saying here we need to confess to each other, though that can be good. But as people who've humbly come before God and confessed, I need your help. I can't do it without you. That should mark us. So, why is confession good? Well, it brings us into reality. It makes us real with God and helps us to see God and who he really is. It enriches our fellowship and it sets us free. Friends, confession makes our fellowship with God flourish. We flourish in our fellowship with God when we bring it into reality, when we root it in reality. And that's what we're on about in 1 John, flourishing in our fellowship with God.